0: Welcome to Chalk & Coffee, where you can grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you fancy, and sit back, relax, and join our extraordinary ESL community. Here you'll meet like-minded educators dedicated to making a difference in the lives of their students and hone your craft. I'm Jacqueline Malay, the host of Chalk and & Coffee, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. I thought we could start this and upcoming episodes with a quick ESL tip. This one is about the importance of creating a classroom environment that allows students to take risks. Perhaps your students have had a previous ESL experience that left them sad or frustrated learning a new language. One of the most important things that you can do to help your students is to create a space that they feel safe to take risks in. In my classroom, we actually have some posters encouraging mistakes, and we talk about the idea of mistakes and and growth mindset very early on in the year. If you want to read up on the idea of growth mindset, Carol Dweck has a great book titled Mindset that I actually think should be mandatory reading for all teachers and students. It's a fantastic book. I'll Put down the um, reference in our podcast notes that you can access at the bottom of the um, app here. Uh, We also have posters in our classroom that have our rules written out on them and respect is number one up there because losing face is a really traumatic experience for anybody, but especially for second language learners. So if students are laughing at each other and you think that that's okay, it's not, the reaction needs to be dealt with quickly so that the students who are being laughed at know that you have their backs and that they'll be able to take risks in the future with a little bit more confidence. Hope that tip helped. Up until now, our podcast has dealt with ESL resources, ESL pedagogy, and general effective teaching practices. And while the podcast is still in its nascent phase, listeners have begun to reach out and they've expressed an interest in also hearing a more academic voice. Teachers really want to be a part of an educated pedagogical citizenry. Here's a call from a gentleman named Prash asking some very interesting questions. If you have some questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, you can send us an email at the email in the podcast notes, or you can leave us a voice message and hopefully we'll be able to play it on our podcast. If you do want to leave a voice message, you need to go to Anchor FM, the Chalk and Coffee podcast, and there's a little message button. You simply hit that message button and you can leave a voicemail. All right, here we go.
1: Hello, Chalk and Coffee. I am an ESL educator at the high school level in Montreal. And um, being a full-time teacher, it is hard for me to stay in touch with what's going on in the latest research and developments in, at the university level. So I was wondering if uh, you would be interested in doing an episode on analyzing what is going on in the latest research in ESL. Thanks.
0: It's in response to questions like these that I'm chatting with one of Quebec ESL's preeminent researchers, Dr. Susan Ballinger. Dr. Ballinger currently teaches at McGill University in the Department of Integrated Studies and Education. She's also a member of the Plurilingual Lab in the Department of Integrated Studies and Education at McGill and a member of the Second Language Research Group at Concordia University. So I would really like to welcome Dr. Ballinger to this podcast. So excited to have you with us today. I'm so excited that you're here today and uh just wondering if you could discuss a little bit about your primary areas of research and your interests
2: sure well thank you jacqueline it's great to be invited this is my first podcast so i'm also excited to be here today um i guess i would like to my my research interests are really focused on contexts where um that are called content-based instructional contexts so that's context where students are learning a second language um, by using that second language to learn subject matter, to communicate authentically, um, and they're just immersed in it. So like French immersion here in Canada, mm-hmm. or I've also done research in two-way immersion in the United States where you have uh, like English speakers and people who students who may be speaking Spanish or Mandarin at home. Um, And they purposefully put them in the classroom together so that they're immersing each other as well in each other's first language. Um, I've also I'm currently running a project in Shanghai, um, which is English and Chinese um, at an English Chinese bilingual education school. And that's my interest. I'm just really drawn to that context um, because it incorporates it incorporates a lot of other situations as well. Um, it has so much potential uh, for language learning for example like in comparison what we know from research is that um, in comparison with uh, non like content based situations non immersion context so just like a regular second language regular core drip feed class that you take like a few times (laughs) a week for an hour (laughs) Yeah. yeah Um, that the differences are really quite vast um, in terms of students' achievement. So you will see students in, in immersion, say, in Canada, achieving much more highly in terms of becoming more fluent. Um, their comprehension levels, and like in terms of listening, in terms of reading, are about the same level as um, like a French first language wow. speaker. At the same time, like these contexts have a lot of challenges so it's like the potential and the challenges I find fascinating. Yeah. So um, I don't know if I, you want to hear about some of the yeah. challenges well, too. Well, I would, yeah, I would love
0: to. But I wonder if you could just maybe talk yeah. a little bit about the specific context in Quebec because yeah. a lot of our, the majority of our listeners are, are from Quebec. So yeah. it'd be interesting for them to hear about perhaps the history of immersion in Quebec and where all this is coming from.
2: Yeah. So immersion is part of Quebec's heritage and Quebec invented immersion. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> um, so it was this is all this was started in Saint Lambert Quebec in um let's see if I get the year right. <laughs> It was a while ago, the 1960s, it's, it's
0: 1965. It's,
2: OK, right. Um, because there was a group of parents. This is at the same time as the Quiet Revolution, when um, uh, French was gaining a lot more power in Quebec and in the country. And um, there was a group of Anglophone parents who said, our students are not learning French well enough in the regular classes. That drip feed. The drip feed. Sorry, (laughs) I hope I didn't offend you. (laughs) That they're not they're not learning well enough in these classes to be Mm -hmm. able to go on afterwards and go to university or to get a job in the in this market. And so we want to give them as many opportunities as possible. So they sat down and decided it was a group of moms and they basically invented immersion. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool because uh yeah So they sat down and they figured out what would work best is to really put the kids in uh, the language as much as possible, right? Starting them off from the very beginning, 100%, 90% of the time in French. So they got lots and lots of what we call comprehensible input, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So input that, especially in kindergarten, where that's really contextualized, there's lots of gestures that you use. Lots of visuals. Visuals. Lots of ways to start getting, your, getting their heads wrapped around this language from a very early age when they're at that age where people always say kids are like sponges, right? Yep. That critical eight period where I guess there's more elasticity in their learning. And more bravery, too. And more bravery, <laughs> yeah. right? It's not as big of a deal. So for some kids it is, yeah. but for a lot of kids like there's not as much risk to take in yeah. comparison with having to suddenly start speaking it in grade five for example. So they started them out developing their literacy through French, um, teaching them uh, subjects through French. And so up until about grade three, they would be in French all the time. But then at grade three, they start introducing English language arts and slowly increasing the amount of time that they're learning in English. Um, That model has stood the test of time. That model developed by these these uh mothers has stood the test of time and um it's become very popular i guess a lot of listeners would know this that french immersion most schools um in quebec either have a bilingual program or a french immersion program that is based on the same ideas throughout canada it's in ontario and bc parents camp out to get their kids into french immersion Um, it's a model that has been used to develop uh similar immersion programs in the united states and in europe um there's clil which is not based on immersion but has uh, it's content has similar it, yeah. ideas and content has drawn driven. a lot from yeah. from the research on immersion there's immersion in asia as i said in australia um and and so it's it's it really is an important part of quebec heritage mm-hmm. and so today i mean it's it's something that is an important part of all the english schools in Quebec, almost all of the English schools in Quebec as well did yeah. the um
0: I guess it was called the banglinguistique or the intensive yeah. program, which is
2: is that similar to that or yeah. so it's it's not similar in terms of um like time allotment because it's no. done differently yeah. right it's grade four, or five or six yeah. or a combination of that where yeah. you just try and get it all out, done yeah. Do at it once. done and more intensively yeah, and the other difference is that at least. My my understanding, although maybe it's evolved a little bit, is that in the ben linguistic, like you can't, um, you can't test students on content. You're not really supposed to teach yeah. content. it's well, supposed content, to be communicative. But through
0: English and not math and not history exactly. and things like that. Yeah, not the core curriculum.
2: No, but in immersion, that's the difference. You're teaching yeah. the core curriculum. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. And so, how does that lead into what you are? all
2: about yes so a big part of my research is focused on what i've called cross-linguistic pedagogy and so just to explain what this comes from is that jim cummins who's somebody who's done a lot of research mm-hmm. on bilingual education in canada the united states and he's he's a small deity yeah yeah anyway he's he has been ta- he's been saying for many many years we really need to drop this barrier between languages in our bilingual education models. And what he's talking about is that um, if you followed a kid through their day at school, let's say you're going to follow around a grade four or five kid in immersion, you would go with them in their French math class and they'd be all in French, supposedly, and um, they would be asked to speak only in French and there would be no there would be this kind of pretense that's there that everybody is a monolingual french speaker then they would get up and go into let's say social studies that is taught through english and suddenly there's this pretense that everybody is a monolingual english speaker and there's no cross curricular connection there's no cross linguistic connection and as you know, like all teachers, what they really want for students to do is to start making cross-curricular connections. Yeah,
0: it's right in our program. Yeah. I mean,
2: we want them to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, cross-linguistic connections are too, um, which is just not very well developed. It is in the Quebec program, um, but there's no concrete suggestions for how to do it. OK. So it's exactly the same idea. It's the idea that with cross-curricular connections and even cross-curricular teaching, when you collaborate across, mm-hmm. Uh, Subjects is the idea that you can start building on what students have already learned. Yeah So that you can be more efficient. They've got baggage. They can unpack twice, you know Yeah, yeah, that's it that you can be more efficient that you can you can show them What they know about language in general? So I I started working on this when I was doing my doctorate um, and also working with Roy Lister Um, who's also in immersion, has done great things. And so I worked on a project alone. I also worked with him on a couple of projects. And in all of these projects, we started trying to find ways that teachers, the French teacher and the English teacher in immersion, could build bridges across what they're teaching to these students and to help students make connections between this linguistic information that they're getting in these two really related languages, like mm-hmm. English and French, yeah. are very closely related. Yeah,
0: I, I hope we can save time later because I do want to talk about oh, languages yeah. that are really different too. I think sure. that would be interesting.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm happy to. So, and we were looking at language arts teachers. So we were looking at ways where they could find connection. They they could connect their uh, curriculum in language arts, um, literacy development, and. I also was teaching in one of my projects, I taught students strategies because there were English and French speakers in the mm-hmm. classroom. That's a big
0: buzzword right now.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's a good one. I yeah. I'm, I'm pro strategy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but teaching them strategies so that when they're in group situations, they can learn from each other, right? Instead of, and they can start seeing their peers as experts in the language and like sources for knowledge and for learning as Instead well. Instead of just a teacher. Instead of just a teacher, especially, especially in all contexts, but also in contexts that that exists in a lot of the French immersion programs outside of Montreal in the mm-hmm. South Shore, for example, where a lot of the students are francophone for reasons that yeah. are just yeah, just, just the way it is. Way. Yeah. yeah. So that means that there, there is this opportunity, like that other program I was mentioning, two way immersion in mm-hmm. the states where students can learn from each other in addition to learning from the teacher, so. And that's a weakness of most French immersion is that your only language model is the teacher, right?
0: Unfortunately, yeah, yeah.
2: so. Okay, so just, that's just just continuing on with talking about um, how, ways that you can, ways that teachers could implement cross linguistic pedagogy more specifically. Yeah, that would be great. So, some of the things, that I, and not just I've done, there's also um, Pamela Gunning and Joanna White, um, Marley's Horse, Philippa Bell, um, I hope I'm not forgetting somebody, but there's, there's a number of people there's also um, that have done this kind, type of work, and I also want to, before I forget, I want to point out the work of um, Claude cuvion that and Dian Alain, okay. they are both work with the, the Quebec Ministry of Education, and there's a really fantastic um, project that they worked on—a five-year project—getting French and English teachers to collaborate, and a lot of the resources for that are online. Oh, so I—we'll put those in the podcast. Yes, we'll put I'll it in the, the podcast
0: notes. Great. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, that'll be important so for me to like remember. So there's like concrete
2: videos, really well-made videos that you can look at and get, nice. get pointers on how to do this as well. So basically, one of the ways is that. One thing I need to really clarify is that this is not asking teachers to use students' first language to communicate. This is a huge issue in French immersion, mm-hmm. because, especially with English, right? Because students are in an English school. Uh, so many of them, usually the majority at least, come from an English-speaking home. Um, as soon as they leave their class they're immersed in English some of them live in communities like the West Island which are if they're in Montreal which are very English speaking yeah so what happens with them and it's not just with kids here it's everywhere in Canada it's across the United States
0: like a dominant language there's the
2: same pattern that happens over and over and over again based on research is that students get into the program of course in the very beginning there's a little period where they have to adjust and yeah. have enough language to speak it. But by second grade, they're using the language almost all the time with their friends, with the teacher. Um, they're very enthusiastic about it. Through third grade, it's still like that. Fourth, fifth grade, you can walk by the class. And if they're not talking to the teacher, they're, te- they're speaking English. Really? Okay. So, And it's interesting, just to throw this in there. in the United States, this happens even with um, students coming from Spanish-speaking homes. If they're supposed to be speaking Spanish at that time, they will often speak English. Is there a reason in
0: particular that you've discovered
2: or that you're noticing for that kind of switch? so i mean there's this combination right if you're so if we were doing this interview and suddenly knowing that you speak english the way you do and that english is my dominant language if we suddenly decided to do this in french it would be awkward okay <laughs> it would be <laughs> and so that's what we're asking students to do and we have right. to acknowledge that it's kind of a socially awkward thing to do and after yeah. you get to a certain age maybe you recognize that okay um it doesn't but feel authentic maybe it's authentic okay yeah for sure that's right and so there's that, but there's also a question of prestige, mm-hmm. right? Of okay. language that definitely is taking place in the United States, where English is the majority language, and the minority language they're learning is not as prestigious. Okay, that may also be playing a role here because of the dominance of English and pop culture. Okay, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. But so I wonder
0: like, if it works the same if we were talking about it in an ESL situation with the, the intensive classes. Mm. So I I wonder if that kind of dominance of English, because those are all Francophone kids in a, it's not the, it's not the same, but I wonder if it would have the same kind of influence.
2: I'm very curious about that. I have not done research on that and I have never heard anybody say there's a problem with it. I think there might also be one of the things with that program is because it's uh, short term. Yeah. There may be a level of enthusiasm among the students that yeah. doesn't have time to wear off okay. for speaking their second language. It's, an, there's that novelty effect, maybe. Yeah. But I'm, okay. I'm just hypothesizing yeah. well, here. Go. I don't know. That's I okay. yeah, to Anybody listening up. that yeah. wants to
0: do a research project, uh, yes. there's the next point.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's the thing is that then what we do know is that French immersion teachers spend a lot of time saying, en français, s'il te plaît. Okay. But, so, and really trying to get the students to use the language. And why this matters is because there's also been research that's measured students' oral language development in the programs. And so there's this really steep increase in their vocabulary development and their complexity of their language that goes on up until about grade four or five, and then it plateaus. At the same time that they stop speaking the language as much.
0: Is it also because there's a shift from the 80 20 Could percentage be. to 50 50? Some or... people have
2: also said that, that okay. that's contributing to this issue. But it also seems it may happen less so when the, because there are some programs that continue to immerse students in French further on into the program, all the way through okay. even, there's still an effect. You still see it, where they slow down in how much French they'll speak.
0: Then, do you know why, or <sighs> Hi- hypothesis,
2: uh, why? Well, I mean, this is, that's the hypothesis. There's been all kinds of hypotheses. One of them was Tyrone and Swain had this really seminal article back in 1995, where they said, well, it's because they don't have models for um for like the kind of language they would like to speak with their peers okay it's there's this diglossic situation where french is for the teacher french is for academic stuff or working on tasks and english is for talking to your peers social or whatever um and they said well if they did get to learn with francophones then it would be different, and then so everybody started looking at two-way immersion, and they yeah. said, "Oh no, it's not different because of the the, the dominant language, effect prestige and, yeah. of Spanish and U.S. society." So I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a very fascinating, it really and is. complicated. Yeah. It's one thing, an area I've been really interested in. So <laughs> that's amazing.
0: So then, how how can we bring this into
2: yeah. So this is what, the this is where this fits into what we were talking about. Um, I think that if you were in a classroom, and this is where we talk about translinguaging, right? And translinguaging would include, um, in one way or another, having students communicate through either whatever language they choose, or at certain times, mm-hmm. right? Perhaps during peer work, or perhaps when they're um, writing a draft, within the classroom that is uh, targeting a certain language. they can So they would be doing it with. in their
0: mother tongue right. and then working on the trend.
2: So maybe they would do one draft in, in their mother tongue or whatever language they choose, or they could okay. mix whatever is comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then they might do their final draft just in the target language.
0: Yeah. I have a lot of my students yeah. who their their first draft because we, we I really encourage them don't lose the flow and so they're they're writing and I said if you don't know that word in in English pop it in 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 whatever language you need to put it in Mm -hmm. and and keep going so you get all of your ideas out and they'll often just underline it or highlight it or put it in parentheses or whatever and and they don't lose the flow then and get hung up on not knowing what that one word was, you know, or a couple of words, because we have a lot of kids in the Montreal context that are from other places. And mm-hmm. so they've, they've graduated through the um, uh, class d'accueil, the welcome classes, okay. and their English might not be as strong. And then they're in a language classroom where they, they might not have any other speaker of their mother tongue in that classroom. And so I said, just put it in and look it up later, you know?
2: So there's all kinds of reasons why you should be doing that. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yay me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a completely different context when you're working okay. with students like that who don't have support for their home language at the school, right, who are not as exposed to it outside. With those students, at least in terms of, like, developing oral fluency, my understanding, I don't know if it's the same here, but everywhere else I've seen it takes about one to two years okay. before they're communicatively fluent in the language of schooling, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be English It usually or is. I think that's yeah.
0: how long a welcome class lasts. Yeah. So it's usually two years.
2: Yeah. So for them, because they're, English and French are the majority languages here, bringing in their home language only supports them, right? In French immersion, the difference is that students already have support for their first language. Right. So as have, a, as a
0: as an anglophone,
2: as an as thank an ang- pointing that out, right? Yes. As very good. Yeah. Yeah. We should get to that. Yeah. As an anglophone, right? yeah. If we're talking about English, yeah. this is a situation, and really, it's better to just talk about this like English, right? Yeah. So for is, in terms of English, they have that support. They're getting literacy development. The schools in English, they have support for that at home. They have support in society. They have support through popular Every, all culture. media. Yeah. Yes. Is, yeah. And so their identity is reinforced, and their literacy is reinforced in that language. Their language development is reinforced. The problem is that um, where they have main, major issues is not bringing that into the classroom and, and developing that other language during the time. So the recommendation is not to add time for students to communicate in English and okay. French immersion. The recommendation is to use it more as a reference tool. So I think that's the way you have to think about it. So it's like through teaching, you can, you can say, oh, well, how would you say that in, in English? And they can say, and you say, okay, and how is that, how are those, those things similar or different between English and French? But you can do that while speaking French. You yeah. Don't need to use yeah. it to communicate.
1: Well,
0: we we talk about cognates too. Is that yeah. is that the same kind of thing? Absolutely, bringing We're up word families, cognates, yeah.
2: those kind of things. Already, people I've observed that so much that teachers do that a lot in classes, and it's really useful for students. Yeah. Um, when I do a lot of differentiating, yeah. because I, I work
0: with um, multi-level kids in um, classes for kids who have autism. And so the instructions for the kids who are closer to or English mother tongue, I'll write the instructions one way. And then when I'm using it for my lower level kids, I I am looking for those cognates so that they can Mm -hmm. at least see something that looks familiar, you know,
2: that's great. Yeah, that's great. You know, that's um, that's because you're what you're doing is you're trying to find what they already know. And so if you're doing that, that's what, that's what you would be doing in cross-linguistic pedag- pedagogy in yeah. English or French. I mean, it sounds fancy if you say cross-linguistic pedagogy. It does sound but fancy. That's, <laughs> but that's what you, that's basically yeah. it, is just trying to find those connections with what they know and to try and make them, sometimes you can just try and make them more like little, um, like, ling, like, I don't know how to say it in English, linguist en, en herbe. Right. Like have them kind of be like the ones figuring this stuff out and finding those connections. And it's fun. It can be fun as well for in some ways because they don't always notice it. That's what's so interesting is that you can see students that are like until you say that comprehension and comprehension are the same word, the same meaning. They they, it doesn't click for them. For other students, it clicks. They, they have that strategy yeah. that they use in trying to learn their, and use their new language. That's why you have to others. teach those strategies. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same thing with grammar, right? Yeah. So one of the studies that, that uh, Roy Lister headed was looking at, called morphological awareness, but basically looking at uh, affixes suffixes, prefixes, mm-hmm. which are used the same way in English and French. That's a very lucky thing. Yeah. And even some of them are the same, right, the same words, like re, re, re like that means yeah. the same thing. Dis. Right. Yeah. Like in or u n, they mean the same thing. Yeah. And so having teachers focus on those things at the same time across languages, it's like speeding it all up for them and making them get the big click instead of wow. just the little one. Okay. And and actually the the students in measuring their ability their morphological awareness or their ability to understand how these prefixes and, and suffixes work and to be able to manipulate language in French, in that study, it, there was like the significant increase in it, which just makes so sense. much faster. It should be. Yeah, that, that's that should happen. It. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I was worried that it would necess—I forgot that we were talking about two teachers working collaboratively. I was thinking, whew, that necessitates you know a, being bilingual all the time," but mm-hmm. it doesn't. If you're working with a, a co-teacher or something like that, you can just do your planning yeah. in a little bit of a different way.
2: Yeah the ideal is that there's co-teaching yeah and that's absolutely ideal and it requires administrative support to a great extent it requires some some form of support some form of time for planning together yeah. even just but even just sharing what you're doing
0: i think that's key too yeah. because i think if if i know if i'm an esl specialist and i know that i'm going into a grade three class and that teacher has on the board that they're working on yeah i don't know Prefixes and suffixes, then I can I can bring that into my lessons as well. I think yeah. it's so important to do that kind of sharing.
2: Yeah. It seems to me that it could one way of there's there could be different models where this could work. And one way to think about it is that the English teachers have a lot more flexibility, yeah, in their curriculum. I mean, they, of course, there's there's a progression of learning, but it's like you can adapt and mold it. So there's lots of what circling the back to teachers too, doing yeah. could really since the French French teachers may feel they have a lot more to cover French For immersion sure. especially because they yeah. have the core curriculum they may feel that they're more stretched, but maybe like the English teacher could feel like oh well let me find out what they're doing and maybe I can connect to the content or not if you connect to content you connect to vocabulary, right? That's perfect. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: So it's it's at so many levels really. This is all also based on notions of transfer, right? Um, so linguistic transfer is something that's been uh, researched for a really long time and seeing... Do you want to, just for people who have been yes. out of school for a long time, do you want to just oh, yeah. remind us of what that would be? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely. So it's basically looking at how all of your linguistic knowledge influences your language use and language learning. So you you know what this is because we all talk about, oh, I speak for English. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? Like well, I just did that a minute ago. Yeah. It was... It's just that you may have a concept, like that concept that I was thinking about a minute ago, that little phrase, honneur, right? It doesn't, I don't know how to translate it. Yeah, like, investigators or they're like a little, But I know you know what it means. Yes, yes. So, so I, I can does. use it, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, um, but it's it's this idea that um, you're transferring like your understanding of how language works at a grammatical level, at a vocabulary level, a pronunciation level. You know, it's it's why you have we have weird accents, right? We're transferring our accent into from our first language into our second language. It happens at many different levels. It happens at the level of so I have at, I'm at McGill, and so um, when I'm teaching graduate students who are international graduate students, they have been trained um, in a different type of like academic discourse writing. Then, um we're tr- often, not always, but often, yeah. than the way that we train students to write academically here. And so they may, they're going to transfer those ideas of how you're supposed to write a paper into writing in their first language in Montreal, right? And so they're going to run into trouble with that. Yeah. So if you don't realize, and if a teacher doesn't realize that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing it's just transfer yeah and then you can then you can explicitly say oh you're doing that like why do you do it like this is this the way you were taught and you can do kind of cross-linguistic with them too and say oh but here this is how we do it and this is let's compare these two different things so it's and that explicit teaching has so
0: much value to it instead of just kind of Ignoring it, making something explicit makes it so much clearer for a learner, you know.
2: Yeah, as long as
0: it's explicit to the teacher,
2: too. I mean, as long as they realize yes, that that's what's like, going on, yeah. that they're not just, like, bad well, English Well, after this writers, podcast, right? they'll all be aware,
0: so yeah. we're good.
2: <laughs> so it's, it's pretty vast, right? There's yeah. so many different ways you can take it. And the way I've seen teachers do it is I've seen them use cognates. I've seen them use morphology, the prefixes, suffixes mm-hmm. across English and French. I've seen them um, make connections between um, literacy instruction, so narrative structure, and using oh
0: yeah, that uh, that element déclencheur. That's uh, it. In...
2: <laughs> that's exactly what can yeah. do, yeah. right? Is saying the the hook. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, and saying saying oh we well I know that your teacher talked to you about l'élément déclencheur, and yeah. so today we're going to talk about a different way of a different type of hook. Yeah, and so they already know what it is. It's They've great. already practiced it. You just build on it in the other yeah. class, and so it's it's at so many levels. But so again, it doesn't really. It's not like you're sitting there talking in French, but you no. are accessing their their knowledge French of language. Knowledge yeah. And their their language related knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's, it's
0: not all about translation no, or yeah, it's no. much it's much more vague, I mm-hmm. guess, or nuanced than than just that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just bigger. It's bigger yeah. than that. And and so for translanguaging, which is a term translanguaging or even here in Canada is often we talk about plurilingual pedagogy hmm it's the same thing so often those have been used to refer to these connections between languages of instruction but they often will include this other element of bringing home languages into the classroom yeah that was
0: my question what if yeah. what if the teacher is unaware how can they still reap the benefits of using this idea of translanguaging if mm-hmm. I don't speak uh, um, I don't know oh, yeah. uh, um, Ukrainian or or something like that. How how
2: so? Do you do that? You can ask students to share with you for one thing. You okay. can kind of put it on the student to do it, and in that way, you're already indicating to them that this is a strategy where they can say, "How does this compare to what I already know?" Okay, um, and
0: they've made a connection then,
2: and they can teach you, and you can, and in talking about it. You can maybe figure out whether or not there's a connection, but it is a way of showing that their language has value mm-hmm. and it's a way of showing that, that whole identity language.
0: is so important,
2: yeah, absolutely it's for identity, it's also showing that they their their language is a resource and it's really important. Um, yeah. all the language that they know is really important, and so I've seen this happens with English and French too. I mean, not, not all of us are bilingual, right? Not all, all yeah. teachers are bilingual, or they're not very comfortably bilingual. And it's more of an openness and not being afraid to say, oh, so it's that, so what would that be in French? and Explain that to me. Yeah,
0: it's modeling. Yeah. It's modeling yeah. good good learning habits, period, right? Yeah. As, as the teacher, you're you're modeling for your students how to be a good language learner, too. You yeah, know?
2: it's very engaging for the students, yeah. too. Well,
0: they love teaching you something. Yeah,
2: yeah it's and good. they feel smart. Yeah. So there's also uh, Francoise Armand,
1: mm-hmm. who
2: has done a lot of work here in Montreal. And uh, not just her. There's many people that, that have worked on um, projects with... Um, um and they, there's a website, it's okay. E-L-O-D-I-L, Okay. and of course these are all French resources, but they're working, it's Éveil Lang, or Language Awareness, and they have really worked a lot on bringing students' home languages into the classroom in highly Very diverse Montreal classrooms. Wow. So of course a teacher doesn't speak um you know Arabic and Gujarati and English and French and yeah. Spanish and all the languages that are that their students speak. Yeah. But there's a lot. That's a really good resource if with lots of videos and lessons. And, oh, that'd be
0: fascinating. Yeah, yeah. we'll definitely yeah. have to put those in our notes and all these great links.
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 And it, what they found through their research is that students who never spoke in class before suddenly started. speaking. Like young students, especially, and when they're and they're just arriving, right? Yeah. They often have this silent period. That these students suddenly were interacting in class and becoming very engaged and excited, and feeling like they had a place there. So, yeah. even identity. even though they weren't, yeah,
0: even though they weren't uh, necessarily with another speaker of their mother tongue, it was just the simple value that was yeah. being placed on their mother tongue that allowed them to kind of
2: jump in like that. Because they were asking them to share their expertise on Mm -hmm. something. They're always being positioned as not knowing something, not knowing language, not understanding what's going on. Um, When you suddenly flip that around and make them the one in the room who knows it and nobody else does. Yeah. That's very powerful.
0: Yeah. You can't see it, but I'm nodding. That's it. It's, (laughs) but it's so true. Like I have never thought of it that way before. Flip it and make them powerful because That's they great. are. I mean, they do yeah. have it. I
2: mean, it's just we're always saying, "Oh, they don't speak French very well," or I my son is actually like this. It's it's quite interesting because I've been talking about this for years, and now I have had a kindergartner who speaks English and Japanese at home and is going to is going through the French mother tongue school system, and um it's it's been quite interesting because uh I was homeschooling him and observing this firsthand and realizing that he can read in Japanese and write in Japanese. Wow. His English is really great, and he, he can do quite a bit in English, but he is really stressed out about French. Oh. And I realized he really didn't understand that much this first year. And his teacher didn't realize, for, until I spoke to his teacher, he didn't realize that he didn't speak French at home. And so he was just trying to hide it because he Aww. didn't want to be the one yeah. who in the class who didn't know what was going on.
0: And how many students are like that in your own classroom? Right. right. I mean, the quiet yeah, the quiet kid who isn't causing any trouble isn't causing any trouble because they're missing out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so important to flip the table like that.
2: And so if you don't know what the students are bringing to the classroom, like that's such an important first step is to figure yeah. out what do you know? What, yeah. what, can, we, what can we use... What can you bring in here that we can use to teach everyone and to help teach you, et cetera? Yeah,
0: it's so funny because I mentioned a tip at the beginning, um, and it's creating class climate. And so really empowering the students would be just to add on to that. I think it's great.
2: Yeah. There's a lot that can be done with this. And I think, you know, we're really, hopefully we can start to shift the way that we teach. I think the, the most important thing in all of this is that we have, we have a few decades where we've, there's really been a lot of research on how students um, who speak more than one language use that language to think and understand and communicate. And there's been a growing amount of research on how teachers can take advantage of that but it's very difficult to actually change the models. Well,
0: yeah, because the teachers who are no longer in school anymore don't have access to all of that research and in yeah. at at the university undergraduate level are are those classes being taught so they're now being armed with this kind of new great knowledge mm-hmm. and and they're heading out into the classes with with a shift? Yeah. Is that is that what's happening at, at the university level now for teachers, or it's not, or, or is that more at a graduate level where people are still doing a lot of the research for it?
2: So definitely, I, I can't speak everywhere, there are a lot of programs yeah. that are really talking a lot about translanguaging, mm-hmm. and um, I certainly talk a lot oh, about hi. cross-linguistic pedagogy, and I yeah. always talk about um, things related to language awareness in my class and i have had a student who graduated and wrote to me later and said i tried out you know some of these techniques with language awareness with my students because they have a lot of different language backgrounds and they just ate it up oh i love you it know, which is great but for cro- if you're talking about what it really should be everything should be organized so that we can make those connections more easily yeah if i know that um Pamela Gunning and Joanna White from Concordia have really made the argument very strongly that, you know, this saves time. It looks like it's going to take more time. And maybe at first, when you're getting used to it, it will take a little more time. But if you actually, if you know what the other teacher has covered, you don't have to cover that. Yeah. You just move forward. You don't have to reteach everything. And or if you do,
0: it's such a little... Yeah. a small amount of time that it and the kids get it so much faster it's done you know
2: yeah and so it's like we can train the teacher we can train pre-service teachers in this but they can't try it out in their practicum very often I mean, yeah it's, it's it would be very hard to convince many teachers to let them start bringing in the first language into the classroom because yeah. there's such a like be, well yeah. yeah
0: I mean I, I grew up teaching that way you know yeah. english as a second language was just english only and that was all you were allowed to talk and there were reward systems and there were you know tons of different ways to to approach this but it still is yeah yeah, yeah tons
2: of of that but hopefully
0: yeah. that people will hear this and and uh and make some shifts that's amazing
2: it's very counterintuitive it really. is i think that well, not really. Another though the language would help you with this, but not language. really. Yeah. It's
0: it's only counterintuitive when you when you think of usage. I think you know right. how do you learn to speak a second language if you're speaking in your mother tongue? And yeah. and that's that's a, a an erroneous perception of what translanguaging is. Now that I've been listening to you, so it's not learning how it's to not speak. Yeah, yeah, it's not just sure. that. It's yeah. so much more.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. great. So, I I. I have seen some changes in this, actually. There's a, I won't name anybody, but there's there was a principal who was trying to get all of her teachers to do this um, in one of the schools. So to, to collaboratively plan, giving mm-hmm. them professional development on it, trying to give them some time for that, to know what the other teacher's doing, um, and has brought me and other people in to help help them with that.
0: Lucky school.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a very so. lucky school. I yeah. Think so. I mean I think and it's it's also a stressful change for teachers because um, we usually work in isolation. Unfortunately. That we are like the, the kings and queens, usually queens yeah. <laughs> at the primary level at least of our own domain. Yeah. Right. And you so, close the
0: door and then nobody
2: knows what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So it's not always easy. No. Gotta to open to doors
0: and find share.
2: ways to come together but mm-hmm. i think the benefits could be really really yeah. big. I teach in an
0: IB school and oh, yeah, that's and great. Yeah. so
2: IB does it quite naturally that yeah.
0: you you're forced to do it. Yep. And and not forced, i mean nobody's twisting an arm but it's built so directly into the program that i know what other teachers are doing and and i think it's great that you have that kind of collaboration. And in fact, in IB, which isn't an immersion situation, but we do, um, you know, interdisciplinary teaching yeah, all the time. So way. I I could work with a history teacher and I could work with, you know... Uh, um, the uh, French language teacher. And so there, there can be that kind of structure taught, like we were talking about narrative and opinion texts yeah. and things like that, that yeah. it just reinforces what they're learning. And, and,
2: and how do they do that? It. How do they, how does it work at your school? How does the administration organize it? So you have the time to plan. And so we have,
0: we'll have like, um, uh, an IB meeting and it'll be, um, a, horizontal meeting. So everybody all in secondary one would, yeah. all the secondary one IB teachers would meet. And so we would talk about what we were doing. We're slowly moving to more of an online platform. So we're using a, a common Google Drive. Okay. And so now I can go in and I can kind of check what teachers are doing. And okay. If I want to do an interdisciplinary study with another a project with another teacher, then we're liberated. Actually, we're we're freed up for a, a okay. bit of time for planning, so we can actually work together. So
2: okay,
0: it works well. So it, it's even though it's still in the in the public sector, yeah. we we can get these benefits. Um, you know, and and I so know
2: it's, it's entirely possible. It is. It's it is. And possible. and
0: yeah. ESL and FSL are based on the IB sort of model, you know? That's yeah. why it's so easy I find for a second language teacher to adopt the IB program where I have colleagues perhaps in math that find it a little bit more challenging mm-hmm. to to shift that way of thinking. yeah But we're getting there.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I I would be great if that that kind of organization could happen at other schools yeah. as well, not just with IB. It just makes so much Yeah. It makes so sense. much sense. It yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wonderful.
0: Um, I just had one more question, perhaps because I know our time is coming to an end. Uh, I wondered if you could talk about how is translanguaging different from relying on translation? How does that work?
2: Okay, so first of all, um, translanguaging is its not a synonym for translation, for sure. Um, and I would say there's different ways you could take translation, right? So if it's at the teacher's level, some, you know, there's always been in the past that sometimes a teacher will say something in one language and just to make sure everybody understood, then they'll immediately translate it into the other language they think students will understand. So definitely that's a danger because students just listen for the the second translation, right? Um, And that's not desirable. I would also say that It's fine. It would be fine for occasionally, you know, like from, you know, when something comes up, even fairly often, like for vocabulary, um, that you might ask a student to say, now, what is it that in this other language and for them to think because that makes a deeper connection for them. Uh You don't give it to them, but you make them find it. Oh, that's wonderful. So often if one student can't do it, another one can. And if you might, I know that we want to move away from students going from that point where they have to constantly translate in their head. Maybe mm-hmm. that's also one of the concerns you're Yeah, mentioning. I think, well,
0: that was like a, I, I, it was a fear yeah. that I had when I was reading everything. I thought, oh, how, how do you avoid that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: You can think of it as just trying to make more connections. A yeah. deeper connection to either a new or a less used concept is in, something that maybe hasn't come up before if if you're able to make that translation you're connected to that whole like shema of understanding so especially for abstract something more abstract like freedom and liberté, right okay and all that it means all the attachments that it that 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 word might mean or liberty and liberté, right right so let's just say that that came up and somebody's like what is this word and I don't know what word does it look like in english to you and and what what does that word what are some of the things that that word means it would just be a way for them to click okay. into all of that okay
0: yeah. that's good yeah excellent well thank you so much for uh coming in and chatting with us about this topic um I think we've run out of time. Um, Yeah, but it was wonderful. And I hope we can have you back again and and continue the conversation, perhaps about another topic. That would be wonderful. That was fun. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. (laughs) All right, take care.
1: If you're interested in exploring translanguaging further, you can check out some fantastic videos on the Plurilingual Lab YouTube channel. It's at Plurilingual with a capital P and a capital L, all one word. I'll put the link in our podcast notes as well. Thank you so much for joining me this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your fellow teachers. And if you like what I'm doing here, hit the subscribe button. I read each and every email and bit of feedback, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, or by email. So I welcome your comments. Finally, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask Chalk and Coffee, let me know by using that message button on the Anchor FM website, and I'll try and answer your question in a future episode of this podcast. If you would like to continue this or any of our conversations, you're also welcome to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, continue to change lives with a little chalk and some coffee.